You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Today's message is entitled Spiritual Wisdom versus Worldly Wisdom. Spiritual Wisdom versus Worldly Wisdom. And really, if you've been following along, this has kind of been Paul's focus uh, for, for quite some time now since you know, there in chapter 1, about halfway through, he's been talking about God's wisdom and how God's wisdom is Jesus Christ and God's power is Jesus Christ and, and Him crucified, right? Well, today, Paul's going to uh, expound a little bit more on the contrast between the, the two different kinds of wisdom, God's wisdom and, and the wisdom that comes from the world. But there, I want to tell you about a woman, first of all, in North Carolina named Beth Feeback, who recently bought a painting for 10 bucks at Goodwill. She liked to paint kittens and cat faces, and so she planned to take the painting home and, you know, white over it, and then she was going to paint uh, her own painting over it. Well, as she was taking the painting apart and dismantling it and getting ready to do that, she turned it over and saw that it was marked with a sticker that came from the art museum at the University of North Carolina. So she, she decided, hey, I need to do some further research on this painting. And as she looked it up and, and on Google and found some other information, she figured out that uh, uh, she found a painting that was painted actually by the famous artist Ilya Bolotowski. Anybody know who he is? <laughs> I, I don't have much artistic discernment. I'm sorry. But apparently he's a famous guy and he had painted this painting back in 1939. And she was able to auction off that painting that she bought for $10 for $34,500. So her lack of artistic knowledge and discernment almost went unnoticed. But like Beth, the Bible teaches that these are that unbelievers don't have much knowledge or discernment when it comes to the value, assessing the value, judging rightly the value of God's truths. But the question that we must ask is, do we as believers, do we have, we, we who have the Spirit of God, are we assigning the right priority and value to the spiritual truths of God? Paul is uh, exploring these concepts and more in our study today. And our lesson today centers around or teaches us that God's true spiritual wisdom is going to be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit to those who believe the message of the cross. And accepting the gospel is really what unlocks our understanding of God's wisdom and His amazing truths. And, and if you have not done that, then you're not going to have access to the very mind of Christ as we do. As believers, we have been given access to the mind of Christ, Paul tells us in our verses today. Our first point this morning is that without Jesus, we cannot know God's wisdom. Without Jesus, we cannot know God's wisdom. Look at verses 6 through 9 with me. Beginning there in verse 6, Paul says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, 
Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Let's pause here for a moment. I want to give you some context. That word, however, it's a connecting word, and it connects us to the first five verses of the chapter, and really the thoughts that Paul has given before that. But he's saying that, however, meaning that, hey, we do actually do speak of wisdom. We don't want your trust and your, your faith to be in human wisdom. But we do actually do want to speak about real wisdom or true wisdom, which is God's wisdom. He insists that Christian teachers do speak of the nature of God, God's wisdom to those who are mature. Notice with me that Paul uses the word we. This is a switch. Paul goes from Paul, the apostle, teaching the church there a few things that they need to do. And he now includes them in this. And he says, listen, we... And so as he goes through this, he's, he's talking about all the Christian teachers in the church, but he's also talking about you and I. That, that we collectively as a church, we are to be about speaking these kinds of things, this kind of wisdom. What does Paul mean by mature? Well, he, uh, we're not exactly sure what he might mean by saying mature amongst the mature But we believe that he's speaking, uh, by the context here, we believe that he probably means any person who has received Jesus Christ. Any person that has believed the message of the cross. Any person that has come to the knowledge of the most basic spiritual wisdom from God. And he says that person already knows more spiritual truth than the person who has rejected God's message through the cross. Paul goes on to say that Christian teachers do not speak worldly wisdom or or, or the, the worldly rulers of this age. They don't talk about them amongst the believers because that would really be pointless. You see, all the world's wisdom and all the world's most powerful, influential people don't amount to much when it comes to salvation. They can put their heads together. They can plan. They can scheme. But they'll never be able to do what Jesus Christ has done. And that is to pay the price for our sins and to grant us forgiveness and eternal life. So all the world's wisdom, all the world's most powerful and influential people, hey, they can't do that. And so why would we waste our time speaking of them? Why would we waste our time adopting that wisdom and bringing it into the church? Well, that's the question. Paul says in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. In other words, we don't talk of that, but we do speak of the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul's making a very simple point. He's saying that they, the, the, the church the, and, and Christian teachers, they speak about the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now what does he mean by that mystery? Is he talking about an investigation? Believers need to embark on an investigation kind of like the Nancy Drew mysteries or the Hardy Boys. Actually, this word mystery that Paul uses, it's his way of referring to the whole story of salvation. The whole story of salvation that leads up to Jesus Christ, it was previously hidden, but now it has been revealed. You know, this past week, my family and I, we uh, were blessed to be able to take a trip up to Branson. 
uh, when Rebecca's mom and dad come to visit us, we like get to do fun things like that. And it was a great time to go up. But we got to catch a play while we were there at the Sight and Sound Theater. And it was a play that was called The Miracle of Jesus. And it was a very impactful play for myself and, and, and for really our whole family. Ezekiel, my 10-year-old son, was sitting on the edge of his seat the entire time like this, you know. And uh, it was, you could tell he was just so excited to see what was happening. But they portrayed it so well that really the whole world was in need of a Savior. And, and, and in the midst of the darkness, this light stepped in. And that was Jesus, God's Son, being revealed to the world. Now, we know the story, of course, that Israel rejected their king. But really, that's, that's the idea behind this word mystery that Paul is talking about. He's talking about how God became a man and stepped into human history. What was previously just prophesied about and promised became actual reality with the birth of Jesus Christ. As He lived His life, a sinless life, died on the cross, and rose again, all of that is the story of the gospel. And that's the mystery that Paul the Apostle is talking about. Paul says we need to speak about that. This is what we do speak about. We don't speak of the human wisdom that there is, but listen, we refer to the wisdom of God in a mystery. This mystery of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this morning. Do you speak of the wisdom of God in the gospel? Is the gospel message something that you are speaking about in your life? Are you constantly coming back to the gospel, realizing that that is where your identity is found, realizing that that is what brings stability and security to your life? Because it is Jesus Christ who totally gives us new life. He makes us a new creation in Christ. The good news is that our old life, the, the, the sin and the, and the failures and, and all of those things, He's paid the price for that. And He's given us a new life in Jesus Christ. You know, Satan has attacked the church in this area. Satan doesn't want us speaking about the gospel. He doesn't want us speaking about the good news. He doesn't want us finding security in the message of the cross. You know, he desires to make the cross no longer relevant. And he has attacked God's word, the Holy Bible. This Bible has been under attack by Satan for a long time. But we are starting to see the results of that attack in the churches today. We no longer speak of the gospel, the true gospel message. We no longer find that our identity is in Jesus and in the cross and what he has done for us. But you know that Satan is going to fail in this ultimately because God always protects his holy word. God always uh, keeps Himself a remnant of believers. A remnant of true believers that will be in the world until Jesus comes to take them up to be with Him in heaven during the great tribulation. But the Word of God, you guys, contains that gospel message and we need to stay true to it. It's under attack today, this message that we speak. But listen, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 has this to say about God's Word. I want to read this to you this morning. It says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
You see, Scripture, you guys, is given to the church. The message of God, the, the wisdom of God in the Bible is given to us for all aspects of our lives. It, it corrects us, it reproves us, it, it teaches us, and, and gives us instruction in righteousness. So we need to hold true to that. We need to speak these truths. So we see now that it, Paul says in verse 7 that this mystery of the good news of Jesus Christ was ordained. In other words, he says it was God's plan since before the creation of time. Now while God knew of His plan to save us from our sins, the rulers of this world, they did not know about that. They did not understand God's amazing plan through Jesus Christ. If they did know about it, then Jesus Christ would have been welcomed into the world. He would have been proclaimed king. But instead, he was ridiculed, he was despised and rejected by those who were in power. Think about that. One of the greatest indictments against religion, one of the greatest indictments against power and influence and riches is that the rulers of this world, even the rulers of the, the, the religious rulers of the temple there in Jerusalem, they rejected and despised God's Son. And it's an indictment against us today if we fail to recognize how special this truth is and how we need to be talking about it and, and placing the correct proper value on this, on this truth. Verse 9 says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, we've most often heard this verse usually quoted with, you know, a longing expression, you know, oh, can't wait for heaven, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has planned for man. And we think that this is a reference to heaven, but really, in context, that's not entirely accurate. Yeah, heaven is a small part, it seems, that, of what God has in store for us. But it's just a part. Paul here is saying, listen, this is really referring to all God's amazing truths. All of the amazing truths of the Bible that are tied to the gospel. That's what he's saying. I has not seen, nor you heard, nor have entered into the mind of the heart of man. The things. He's talking about spiritual things there. That God has prepared for those who love Him. Paul is basically telling us, look, without Jesus, you're in the dark. Without Jesus, you're cut off. You don't have access to all of these amazing things that God has for the believer. It's not just heaven, guys. It's not just eternal life. Jesus didn't come so that we could all just long for to get out of here. He came to save us now. He, see, he came to save us and give us a quality of life here on the earth that is above and beyond any life we could ever find. And that's what he's talking about Without Jesus, we're in the dark. Only Jesus opens up our hearts to see and to hear and to perceive the truths about God and of God. And Jesus is the one who also sends us His Helper, the Holy Spirit. And that's our second point today, is that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand God's truths. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand God's truths. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Read with me. It says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. He's talking about these things, these things of God. 
He's revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So what is Paul saying here? He's, he's saying that just as it is the spirit of a man who knows the things that he's thinking and feeling inside of him, so too it is the Spirit of God who knows the thoughts and the emotions of God. It's the Holy Spirit that knows those. And it is the Spirit of God who reveals that to us. He reveals the mystery of Jesus to us. It's the Spirit of God that reveals these spiritual truths that Jesus teaches. The wisdom of God and His salvation can't be obtained by human wisdom. To truly know God, you have to have, you have to somehow have the Holy Spirit. You might be wondering, well, how do you get the Spirit of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul tells us in the very next verse, in verse 12, he says, Now we have received, we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So listen, guys, the Holy Spirit is received. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God. God's grace, He provides the Holy Spirit. When we receive the truth about Jesus, when we believe the gospel, He gives us the Holy Spirit. Remember, we've talked about that here at Calvary Chapel, that the moment that we believe the gospel, that God baptizes us in the spirit, He baptizes us into the family of God. And, and, and then He seals us with the Spirit of God. And so that gift of the Holy Spirit is what really helps us to understand these truths. He leads us and guides us in the truth of God. Now, in these verses, Paul is also comparing and contrasting two, two, two more concepts that are related to spiritual wisdom and worldly wisdom. First, he's, he, he's talking about that we have not received the spirit of the world. Okay, so he's talking about the spirit of the world. And he says, look, you have not received this spirit. When you believe the gospel, you don't suddenly become worldly. Okay, that's not what he's saying. Yeah, that, that's, that's not what happens. The spirit of the world here is a reference to the worldly system that works apart from God. You see, in much of the world system today, there's no desire to incorporate God in his truths. There's no correct assessment of the value of God's amazing truth. The spirit of the world is a spirit that usually operates on a different plane than God's plane. Remember Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. It says that my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And God explains that, that He operates on a higher level. That's, that's what this is saying, is that, look, this, the spirit of the world, it operates on that different level than God's wisdom and God's spiritual truths. The Bible is full of examples of men and women who lived their lives with this kind of worldly wisdom. Take, for instance, Esau. Back in the book of Genesis, Esau was Jacob's brother. <clears throat> and we read about Esau who uh, came back from a hunting trip and he was hungry. And he asked his brother Jacob for a bowl of stew. His brother was cooking. Apparently Jacob was a pretty good chef. And he had, he had uh, made this bowl of red stew. And it smelled good. 
And Esau was hungry. And he came home and he said, you know, I really got to have that stew. And Jacob said, well, I'll give it to you if you trade your birthright. Now, the birthright in a Hebrew family meant that uh, you were uh, the spiritual leader of the home. You were, uh, you, you were uh, considered to be God's priest of the family. And in and, and all things spiritual, you were the leader. You were the head. And, and Esau despised that birthright. He didn't correctly assess God's amazing truth. He didn't put the right value on that birthright. And he said, you know what? What's this worth to me? Nothing. And he threw it away and he accepted that bowl of stew. He traded it away. Listen, that's worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is fleshly minded, putting the desires of the flesh first and saying, hey, this spiritual thing, it's not really worth anything to me. I'd rather fulfill the, the desires of my flesh. That's what Esau teaches us about worldly wisdom. There's also that Pharaoh character. That Pharaoh character who trusted in his pride and resisted the will of God, even though it cost him everything, even the life of his own firstborn son. He tried everything, including black magic and pagan gods, anything but yielding to God's will in surrender. That's a picture of the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world says, I don't need God. I don't need to surrender to God. I can do it my way. I can do it. I'll look to anything and everything else, but rely on the God of this universe for salvation. So the, 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 the wisdom of this world resists God's will. It's fleshly minded. It resists God's will. What about Saul, the king of the Israelites in the Old Testament? Saul, we learn when he was under specific orders from God to completely destroy the Amalekites he was unwilling to do it. The Bible says that he held back. He saved the best of everything for himself. Including he also failed to kill Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And when Samuel confronted him and notified him that he would no longer be the king, Saul showed no remorse. He, didn't, er, he showed remorse, but not repentance. That's what I meant to say. He showed remorse. Oh, I'm sorry. But he had no repentance in his life. What he desired was that Samuel would continue to honor him in front of the people because he cared more about his outward image than anything else. Listen, the wisdom of the world is prideful and it cares about outward appearance more than repentance and obedience. Are you getting the picture here? The Bible is filled with stories such as these that illustrate worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom fails to assess the value of God's truth and instead places a priority on fleshly wisdom. The desires of the flesh resisting God's will and being prideful and keeping up outward appearances. Paul says that believers in Christ have not received that kind of a spirit, but have instead received the spirit that is from God. You see, the Holy Spirit has been given to us to communicate the spiritual truths of God. He's been given to us to guide us and to help us as we pray and we study through the Bible. The Holy Spirit imparts spiritual knowledge to those of us who fellowship with God and study in His Word. It follows then the question, are you getting a daily dose of fellowship with Jesus in your life? Are you having a daily dose of the Word of God in your personal life? 
Or is your life so filled with busyness, so filled with the cares of this world, so filled with, dare I say it, a fleshly wisdom that you don't have time for God, that you don't properly assess the value of spending time with Jesus? Guys, we can't miss this. Paul is making this point. He's saying, listen, hey, the world, they don't see the value in it. They could care less. To them, it's a bowl of red stew that, uh, you know, we could, uh, or it's a, it's, a, it's a birthright that we could trade away for a bowl of red stew. But, but Paul is saying, no, get this. Those who have believed the message of the cross, those who have been made alive by Jesus Christ and have received the Holy Spirit, they, they assess these truths differently. Okay, they're going to see this differently. Now, as we reach our, our third and last point in our message today, we see that Paul now goes on to contrast the natural man versus the spiritual man. The natural man versus the spiritual man. Check out verse 14 with me. He says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So what is the natural man? Paul's using a term here. He's saying there's a natural man, and, and this natural man is a man who has not received the Spirit of God because he has not believed in God's wisdom and power, which is Christ crucified. The natural man operates, therefore, on a different plane. He doesn't receive the things of the Spirit because, really, they're just foolishness to him. It's a waste of time, the the things of God. Why prioritize your life around God? Why, Why read the Bible every day when you can be making money and getting rich? That's what the natural man is thinking. Even if the natural man came into contact with spiritual things of God, he can't, he can't understand them. He can't discern them properly because Paul states there that they are spiritually discerned. You know, to ask a natural man if he understands the Bible, it, it's kind of like asking a blind man to judge a painting contest. Or it's like asking a deaf man to judge whether or not the music sounds good. Another way to illustrate this is with the concept of radio waves. In this sanctuary this morning, there are many, many, many different radio waves going all throughout the room. But we can't really hear them because our ears aren't tuned in. We don't have the receiver. We're not tuned in to be able to hear them. The same thing is true of the unbeliever. The unbeliever this morning, he doesn't have the receiver, the Holy Spirit, which is needed to be able to appreciate God's truth. In contrast, those that are here this morning and do have the Holy Spirit, we we can appreciate these truths. As we listen to them, as we read them, as we study them, we go, wow, okay, this is valuable. This is heavy hitting. This is impactful. And we appreciate them because the Holy Spirit has opened our hearts to them. The question then follows, why do we get angry when unbelievers act like unbelievers? We, We don't need to get angry when we see the world being the world, (laughs) when we see those unbelievers just operating in their worldly wisdom, how else are they supposed to act? The deaf cannot hear, the blind cannot see, the lame cannot walk, dead cannot move, but the natural man can, and the natural man cannot understand the things of God. 
You know, it's really sad that there are many Christians who judge and condemn and, and punish unbelievers for sinning when sinning is just merely a part of their job description. We need to be careful, church. <laughs> and, you know, oftentimes we are, are freely condemning unbelievers and yet we fail to acknowledge and provide discipline and accountability to those that are believers. Those that know the truth and yet refuse to live and walk in the truth. And, and that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Uh, you know, you start studying the lives of the Pharisees and uh, it was very similar to that. So we need to ask ourselves, what do we want to be like? Are we, are we striving to be like the Pharisees and condemn unbelievers? And, and then fail to rightly hold accountable those that know the truth amongst us? We need to be careful. We, we, we often allow believers to live any kind of a life without rebuke or discipline or accountability. And that's a terrible double, double standard. We shouldn't become angry and irritated and impatient with unbelievers. Instead, we need to have empathy and love and compassion for them. Reaching out to them and realizing they need Jesus just like we do. The message of the cross is necessary for the world that we live in. It's the light that shines in the darkness. Instead, we seem to have it all backwards too much of the time. We need to understand that the only reason that we ourselves aren't still living as natural men and women is that God has miraculously entered into our lives. And it's the gift of grace that God has given to us that we can now see reality and properly assess God's truths and place value on those things and appreciate them. So we don't have really anything to be proud of, guys. We're, we're those ones that are beggars that have found bread. And it's now our responsibility to go out and to find other beggars and lead them to the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. We're, that, that, that's the only difference is that we have found that bread. And that's the only difference. Paul goes on to give a contrasting statement there in verse 15. He says, But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Now Paul's making a point that that, that here is not that a Christian is never above criticism or judgment. You know, I've heard heard Christians claiming this verse, you know. (laughs) Usually it's a husband who's messing up, you know. And he's like, hey. He who's spiritual judges all things, but he's not judged by anyone, you know? And he's like, you, you can't tell me I'm doing wrong, you know? And you're just like, oh, man, you're totally missing the point. You're totally missing the point of the gospel, bro. You know, the, the, the point of this is not that we're above criticism or judgment. He's saying simply that no natural man is equipped to rightly judge a spiritual man. But he is saying that, listen, as spiritual men and brothers and sisters, we are to be able to spiritually discern what's right and wrong. He's not saying that we don't ever do that. The word for judges in this verse can also be appraises. The idea is that a Christian who has the Spirit is able to rightly give the value to spiritual things. You know, interestingly enough, when Rebecca and I announced uh, that we were going to be moving to Costa Rica back in 2006 to plant a church... There were so many people that could not understand why we would want to do that. 
And I can't tell you how many conversations we had where we were, you know, so excited to share what God was doing, how he had spoken to us and he was calling us to the mission field. And we uh, felt him directing us there to Costa Rica. And they'd go, well, well, how and, and why? You know, and we would begin to explain this to them. And several people just didn't even get it. Even people that profess to be Christians would go, yeah, I just, I don't I don't think the Lord works like that. I, I don't, I've never seen the Lord work like that in my life, you know. And, and so it was just kind of a weird thing. And we, we received a lot of, you know, uh, people that were uh, not able to understand. They weren't able to discern why we would want to do something like that. But that's just because, as Paul says, the natural man is not equipped. The natural man has never been given the receiver, the Holy Spirit, to be able to assess these things and appraise them and judge them rightly. In verse 16, Paul goes on, he continues, he says, For who has known the, man, the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So here Paul closes out by quoting the prophet Isaiah. He quotes the prophet Isaiah and he reminds us that God's ways are above our understanding. Okay, there's, there's no possible way that we'll ever be able to fully figure God out Okay, he's, he's beyond us. He's, he's an eternal being. He's a being without a beginning. He's outside of time. Okay, this is, he's beyond us. He's, he's an infinite being. You and I are finite. We've been created. And so because of that, we'll never know, fully know the mind of the Lord, and we'll never be able to give instruction to God. We'll, we'll never be able to figure out His wisdom and, and, and all that He is. But you know what? Paul says something radical there at the very end of verse 16. That last phrase, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. <laughs> it's a very profound statement. He's telling us that as believers, we have been given the mind of Christ. And this is an absolutely amazing thing when you think about that. When you realize that God, through imparting the Holy Spirit to believers has given us the very mind of Christ. That we have the opportunity to fellowship with the Lord and to receive from His mind. C.S. Lewis talked about uh, being able to discern God's will and hear from the Lord and be guided daily by the Lord. And he would say, uh, he, he made a remarkable statement. He said that, you know, if, if God, His Holy Spirit is living in me, and He's a part of me, and I'm abiding in the Lord, then His thoughts are going to become my thoughts. His thoughts are going to become my thoughts. And, and we as Christians, we have the opportunity to sit down and to discern those thoughts. We can discern the mind of Christ, and it's an amazing thing when you think about that, that God would choose to give us, through the Spirit, the mind of Christ. Do we take advantage of that, guys? I know that I don't. I know that true confessions, I don't spend enough time just hearing from the mind of Christ. I know that I read my Bible on a daily basis, and I spend time in prayer, but so often it's an outpouring it's a pouring out. It's a, you know, it's just, you know, it's me downloading on the Lord everything that's going on in my heart and in my life. And I don't take the time to just wait and to sit and to think and to meditate and allow the word and to allow the spirit to speak to me of the deep things of God. Guys, 
We are in the midst of one of the busiest months of the year, aren't, aren't we? <laughs> There's things calling and pulling for us in every direction. And, you know, I don't know if you guys like me, you get in those, those credit card notices, hey, increase your credit limit, you know, because we're all expected to just go into debt, you know, during this season. Kind of crazy. A lot of things pulling for our attention, a lot of things pulling for everything. But listen, guys, the, 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 the Bible is telling us that the Holy Spirit living in our hearts wants to pull us to God. He wants to pull us to Jesus. He wants to impart to us spiritual truths, the deep things of God. That's his role in our lives. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do that? Yes, I know that Christmas is very materialistic here in the United States. And we need to be careful with that. We need to realize and recognize that that can become an idol. But listen, if we keep these things in the right priority, if we are assigning the correct value to the spiritual things of God in our lives, then, then we can overcome that idol of materialism. We can overcome all sin. We can overcome it. It doesn't have to beat us up and beat us down. Paul is letting us know that, listen, we, we, you got to choose which realm you're going to operate in, guys. You've got that natural realm. You've got the worldly wisdom. You've got the, the, the things of this world. And the Bible's full of examples of men and women that lived their lives by those principles. And they died by those empty and ripped off. And then you've got this other plane that God is calling us up to. It's this spiritual plane where the Holy Spirit says, listen, you've been given the receiver. Now, will you download? Will you receive the things of God? Will you live a spiritual life or will you live as a natural man or a natural woman? When Henry Thoreau, the naturalist, was close to his death, it is said that he was visited by a very godly aunt in his family who asked him this question. Henry, have you made your peace with God? And he replied, I didn't know that we had ever quarreled. A very natural man's answer. In his answer, he was revealing his, his profound spiritual ignorance, wasn't he? You see, too many people are like that. They're totally unconscious of the fact that they've sinned against God, that they have quarreled with their maker, and they are really lost and separated from God. You know, the first step in coming to Christ is to realize that, uh, to re to realize that you're a sinner, that we're all sinners, that we're lost, and we need a Savior. Henry Thoreau's answer revealed that he was still lost. He didn't know that he was lost, and he couldn't come to Christ because he wasn't willing uh, to, to, to recognize that basic truth. And that's the truth of the gospel, number one, about our condition. You see, the good news, the message of the cross starts with an acknowledgement that we are not right with God and that we need a Savior. As we close this morning, I would encourage you, I would exhort you, I would beg you to make sure that you understand that truth and that you recognize your need for the message of the cross on a daily basis and that we as a church would be speaking of that message to one another, to our families as we gather with them at Christmas, as we uh, realize that Jesus coming into this world 
is a miracle. And it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to any of us. When he came into our lives and saved us from our sins. Let's pray.